Welcome to the Coventry Vineyard Podcast. Wherever and whenever you're listening, we hope you're blessed by this message. If you want to find out more about our church or speak with someone about Jesus, head to coventryvineyard.org. So, I don't know if you saw this in the news the other day, but um, there was this lady, Beatrice Flamini. She's a Spanish athlete, and she emerged from a cave into the spring sunshine. She'd been living underground, 70 meters underground, on her own for 500 days. She was monitored by a group of psychologists and researchers and cave specialists and physical trainers to learn more about the human mind and body and how it deals with extreme solitude and deprivation. She volunteered to spend 500 days. Uh, she said it kind of went really, really fast. Um, and when they came to get her out, she was like, really, is the time up? Um, and so she passed her time calmly and purposefully by reading, by writing, by drawing, and by knitting, whatever that is. Um, but basically enjoying herself while she's on her own in a cave. She says, I was where I wanted to be, and so I ded- dedicated myself to it. Now, for some of us, living on our own for that long would be wonderful. (laughs) However, for others of us, it would be truly awful. Now, interestingly, the the one thing that she was most looking forward to as she came out and back into uh, fresh air and life above ground, the one thing she was most looking forward to was enjoying a large plate of egg and chips with friends. That's what she was most looking forward to. And ultimately, humans are relational beings. Life is all about relationships. You are created by a relational God. And the greatest joys and satisfactions in life come through relationships. And the greatest pain also comes through relationships. Jesus told us that the number one command is to love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and that we are to love others as well, even our enemies. And so today, in our series about being filled with the Holy Spirit, what I want to look at is what does it mean to be filled with joy? I want to look at the relationship between joy and the Holy Spirit and see what we can learn and how we can grow in joy and return to a place of joy when life seems to suck away our joy. Sometimes we find that during worship time, as we're worshiping, as we're focusing on God's presence, it raises up a whole load of emotions. And, you know, I chatted with Gamania earlier, um, earlier just to see how she was. And that's part of what we do. We're an authentic community. And we don't stuff it all down and hide and, and just try and ignore it. And so it may be uncomfortable, but we don't manipulate that and we don't hype that up. You know, if, if something comes up, if people express emotion, we deal with it. It's okay to deal with it. And so my prayer for all of us today is this. It comes in Romans 15, 13. So why don't you close your eyes? I'm going to pray this again at the end. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's my prayer for each one of us today. 
And last week we had at the table here, we had the glass of water and it was overflowing. And I think for a lot of us, it feels like our glasses are empty. It feels like there's nothing in there. And we're trying to kind of, it's like a, a reservoir. And again, in Spain recently, they've been showing photos of reservoirs that are just completely empty. And sometimes it feels like our joy reservoir is empty. All the way through um, the Bible, there's this theme of joy. And we'll come back to that in a minute. So in Acts 13, verse 52, it says, The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. In Romans 14, verse 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was uh, risen from the dead, that first Easter Sunday, it says the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. In Luke 10, verse 17, it says the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And in response, Jesus, it says, full of joy, through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Because this is what you were pleased to do. C.S. Lewis once described joy as the serious business of heaven. And so joy is kind of the, the capacity, it's the, it's the place in which God does things in our lives. And over the past 18 months or so, I've been learning again and again to return to a place of joy. I actually did quite well during COVID. It was after COVID that I found it particularly difficult because I found I was responding to all this stuff during COVID. And then when it all was over, it's like, okay, now go. It's like running a marathon after you've completely drained and you haven't eaten for ages. And so I've found for the last 18 months that I've had to consciously return to joy in order to not just thrive, well, try and thrive on things like fear and anger and disappointment and frustration. And so when I felt angry or frustrated or depressed or sad, it's like, how do I find that way back to joy? And I've noticed that my ability to experience real joy at times has been redu reduced. At, at times I've struggled to find joy. For example, um, we were recently playing a board game with our family, I think it was for my birthday, and uh, we had all the family over, and what should have been a joyful, fun experience became a source of competition and frustration as one person cast an awkward atmosphere into the room as they struggled with not winning. And then the shame of realizing that that person was me and just the end of the game and all the things going back in the box, and it's like, okay, I've ruined it. We had a chat, didn't we? We did. We did. <laughs> so there have been times that I've been aware of sadness and disappointment robbing me of joy, which then leads to feelings of anxiety and depression and then limits my ability to cope well with difficult situations. Simply put, joy leaks. Um, we were recently um, moving a canal boat, and uh, we were going to. We've got this vineyard leaders gathering next week, and we're staying on this canal boat. And you have to go from the canal onto the River Trent. And before I went onto the we went onto the River Trent, 
I thought, I wonder if there's any fuel in the fuel tank. And so I kind of opened the, the cap and looked in, and I could just about see some liquid at the bottom, which I hoped was fuel. And I couldn't work out how much there was. So I did what any other person would do, and I went and got a tape measure, and I kind of stuck it down into the hole. And it's like, I've got 45 centimeters of fuel, and the tank's about 90 centimeters high, so it's probably about half full. Because what I didn't want to do is then go onto the River Trent and find that there was no fuel to go against the stream. And I think for a lot of us, that's the picture, that it feels like that our, our tanks of joy are so depleted that just one more thing pushes us over the edge. And we find that we don't respond to challenging situations as we might have done in the past. You see, our brain needs fuel to run properly. And the fuel that our brains were intended to run on is joy. There's a great uh, Pixar movie that kind of gets this exactly right. It depicts joy as a character. It's called uh, Inside Out. It, de it depicts joy as a character that leads all the other emotions and helps create memories. Dr. Alan Shaw is a brain scientist, whatever that is, and he defines joy relationally as someone who is glad to be with me and being the sparkle in someone's eyes. You see, joy is what you experience when you can see in another person's face that they are happy to be with you. I don't know, when we're isolated, we don't get to see joy. In Numbers 6, 25... Come back to that. Oh, great, thank you very much. In Numbers 6, 25, it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. The Lord make his face shine upon you. God commands the priests to bless people with this phrase. It's saying, I'm happy to be with you. I love you. I like you. Do you know that God actually likes you? We think, oh, yeah, I know God loves me, but God likes you. He loves looking at you. He loves gazing at you. God's saying, my face shines when I look at you. You give me joy. In John 15, Jesus talks about how he loves his disciples with the same love that the Father has for him. And he says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full up, may be complete. Now, if we replace joy with the fuller definition of my father's face lights up when he sees me because I'm so special to me, to him, I'm telling you this, that you will feel how special you are to my father and to me. Our faces are shining on you with delight. Do you get that sense of joy? See, God's presence, his Holy Spirit, brings us joy. Holy Spirit is not really a, a, a source or a force. Holy Spirit is really a person. It's the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of Jesus. And joy is found in a person. See, genuine joy is found when we experience God delighting in us. God is full of joy. We see how he looks at us, and that brings joy. Now, in my darkest moments... When I felt isolated and sadness has crowded into my mind, others notice. Vicky sees it in me. She says things like, 
you've not been looking at me as often as you would normally. And that's, a, that's a, an indicator. If you're in a relationship and the person is not looking at you as much as they used to, you know that there's a problem. And so I've you know, said to Vicky, you need to tell me that. If you can see me getting into that sort of situation where I'm not looking at you, I'm not gazing at you, not weirdly, but obviously. <laughs> See, joy is not happiness. Our culture is addicted to the cult of happiness, getting what we desire when we desire it. And conflict comes when, when our desires are blocked by other really annoying people who are also looking for happiness. And we end up becoming miserable people fighting each other for happiness. Our happiness is then determined by our circumstances and we end up manipulating others to gain happiness and looking for things like donuts which will make us happy in the short time but which ultimately leave us empty. So don't allow the condition of your heart be dictated to you by the culture around you. There's a deeper level of joy which is not the same has happened. So let's kind of look, just dig into this a little bit. In Psalm 16, verse 9 to 11, thanks, Nick, it says, Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. That's what we were doing earlier when we were worshipping. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. Could also be talking about Jesus, Maybe. Uh, verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. I've been listening to a great album um, by a guy called Sam Henshaw. It's called Untidy Soul. And the very last track on this album is simply called Joy. And he says this, and he sings this, says, my source of joy has not been from the things I have, but it's been from being in his presence. Where we find joy is being in God's presence. Now, I'm going to borrow Bethel for a moment. Gloria, is it okay if I borrow Bethel for a sh- I'm going to just try something, okay? So we planned this already. I'm going to come over because Bethel is my prop. So there's a passage in Zephaniah 3.17, and it says, For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty saviour. He will take great delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. And the picture that's been painted there is of God holding you like a baby and calming your fears, and holding you, and gazing at you. Thank you very much. <laughs> and, that's, and that's the picture of God holding you and calming you and soothing you, of gazing at you with that look of joy. 
Babies look for joy in people's faces. And they respond to that. A friend of mine back in January had a prophetic word for me. He saw a tight band around my head. And it perfectly described how it's felt like my mind has been under siege. And I don't think I'm the only one. I don't think, I, I, some of you might be going, oh, okay, Nick needs to go and see some, get some professional help, probably do. But I don't think I'm the only one. And as a community, we want to have authentic relationships. We don't want to suppress and hide stuff and pretend that everything's okay. We want to be real with each other. So I've been learning to return to a place of joy. The other week, I mowed our lawn, and um, we've got like a family of about five squirrels that live in the trees at the bottom of our garden. And over the winter, they've been coming to the, the nuts that we put up for the birds again and again and again. And they've left this pathway through the grass to get to these, this bird feeder, to get all the nuts. And that's the kind of picture that I want us to have, of having these pathways again and again to this source of joy. And you kind of see it on the squirrels' faces when they're legging it towards the nuts. And it's like, yeah! It'd be like Scrat in um, Ice Age. But the thing is, how do you start to get those pathways to joy? It might be something as simple as setting a timer on your phone and saying, the alarm going off at whatever time, saying, what are you thankful for? And just starting to express gratitude to God. It might be as simple as having a moment in the day when you pause and you say, I'm going to return to joy. I find that something around 11 o'clock in the morning is usually pretty good because that's when loads of stuff have already gone wrong. And that's when it's like, okay, I need to recenter and return to joy. When we return to joy, I was talking with Vicky this morning about it. It's like, what do we do? Do we just stuff another bit of food in our mouth? Do we turn to something else? Do we go shopping? Do we scroll through social media? Or do we go, you know what, God? There's something wrong inside of me. And I need the serious business of heaven, this joy, to fill me up again. Do we step into God's presence and say, God, would you fill me with your joy? Would you let me see things from your perspective? You see, joy is not dependent on the circumstances that we face. Joy is the fuel that our brain functions on when life is tough. In 2 Corinthians 7 verse 4, it says, I've spoken to you with great frankness. This is Paul, and he always spoke with great frankness. He says, I take great pride in you. I'm greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. There was something about Paul where he was joyful, whatever he was in. In 2 Corinthians 8, 2, it seems like it was infectious. It says, in the midst of a very severe trial, talking about this church, it says, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So joy is not about the circumstances around you. Joy, part of it is a choice. And saying, God, I'm going to choose this pathway to return to joy. And that's the kind of thing that I've been trying to do. I think there's a whole, a whole series that we could do on this. And we were going to do this as a whole series. But then I thought, no, I want to focus on being filled with the Holy Spirit. So maybe we'll return to this later.
See, joy is found in the presence of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you will find joy. And the more your tank will be full and you'll be able to get through the streams and the rivers that are coming against you that are trying to rob you of joy. When there's anger and fear and sadness. See, again and again, all through the the four Gospels, we find people desperate to get close to Jesus. We have Zacchaeus that's climbing up a tree, just desperate to see him. We see Bartimaeus, who was blind, getting close to Jesus and crying out to him. We see a group of friends who dig through someone's roof in order to get their friend into the presence of Jesus. People will do whatever it takes to get close to Jesus because they were that desperate. And maybe for some of us, we're not desperate enough. And we're just, you know what, I'm okay. It's okay. This is just my, I don't know, my cross to bear. It's just this thing that I have. But that's not the life that God has given you. There's an abundant, eternal, everlasting, fulfilling, flourishing, thriving life that God wants for you. See, I started this talk with a story about a woman who volunteered to be isolated for 500 days. I'd like to finish by sharing about a woman who found Jesus in a crowd, having lived in pain and fear and shame and distress and social isolation for 12 years. And so if you've got a Bible, um, it's Mark 5. So the book of Mark, chapter 5. Sometimes it's actually good to bring a Bible to church and go really old school. Um, and actually open up a paper Bible. And we're starting in verse 24. And we're landing with this rather than just starting off. So the situation here is this guy Jairus has come to um, ask Jesus uh, to come to his house because his daughter is dying. And on the way, uh, Jesus is going there and he's being jostled and he's in a crowd of people. It says, all the women, sorry, all all the people, in verse 24, all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd has suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She has suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she'd spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus. So she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought, if I can just touch his robe... I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she'd been healed of her terrible condition. You see, she's thinking, if only I can get close to Jesus. If only I can just reach out. There's a faith, there's a gift of faith that she's been given. There's something about Jesus. And then it says, Jesus, in verse 30, Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. He's looking for this woman. He's looking to see her face. He wants to gaze at her face. 
kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. This woman takes this huge risk out of desperation. This desperation leads her to close to Jesus and reach out to the one who could bring her peace and hope and healing and joy. She's had this physical problem for 12 years. She's got this financial problem that she's now broke. She's got this social problem of of shame and dishonor. She's got this spiritual problem of uncleanness. She wasn't able to get into God's presence. And there she is in God's presence. I wonder what was going through her mind. What does she see in Jesus? And I think there's an encouragement for each of us today to step out of where you are at the moment and step into what God has for you. Where are you now? Are you ready to take that risk? Has that... Uh, issue or um, problem or condition or situation got desperate enough that you want to help from God to resolve it. And you might say, Nick, I've done it again and again and again. And that's where we keep on pressing in. That's where we keep on having friends around you, like in our life groups and our journey groups, and keep on coming here on a Sunday and standing in the presence of God and and crying out our our emotion and letting the, the tears and the snot go on the floor. That's a holy moment. Are you ready to take the risk? For some of us, something has got to change. Maybe there's an alcohol addiction. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's debt. Maybe it's a relationship breakdown. But the question is, how do I reorientate my life to get to a point where I'm reaching out and touching his robe, being in his presence? Is there anything in your life that the Spirit would whisper to you right now to take that step and move forward to? That there's this reservoir of joy that is available to you. And so Jesus stops and he wants to know who touched him. He wants to look into her eyes. And I think for this woman, she's faced with this possible humiliation. She's thinking, oh, this religious leader is going to humiliate me in front of everybody. But instead, he creates this environment for healing. She gets over her fear of humiliation. She steps up and says, I reached out to you. I wonder what the single most important emotion she felt afterwards was. Was it anger? Was it despair? Was it shame? Was it disappointment? Was it fear? Or was it disgust? I think no. I think it was replaced with one key emotion, which was joy. Imagine the joy she felt. I don't think she regretted it. Thanks for tuning in today. We would love to connect with you on a Sunday morning soon. 
bless you and have a great week.